Flash Black Radio is trying to approach health and well-being from a holistic point of view. So we're not just looking at it from the perspective of what you're consuming as far as your diet. We want to make sure that your finances are healthy. We want to make sure that your relationships are healthy. We want to make sure that you are healthy psychologically, physically, spiritually. If it affects the community, we need to talk about it. Finances, let's talk about it. Social issues of the day, let's talk about it. Relationships, let's talk about it. Career paths, how we can better ourselves, how we can better positions for our family, how we can make positions for our families. Let's talk about it. Let's stop beating around the bush and let's get in. Let's get active. Let's get involved. Your diet isn't just what you consume physically. It's what you consume mentally, the conversations you participate in, what you watch on TV, what you listen to on the radio. All of this is a part of your diet and all of this has an impact on your health and your well-being. Flash Black is a new perspective for a multicolored collective. You are now listening to Flash Black You are now listening to Flash Black Radio. What's good, ladies and gentlemen? This is... Da Vinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III on Flash Black Radio, Culture Shock. And I have the pleasure of introducing, in what my estimation is, one of the best spoken word artists slash poets living and breathing on this planet right now. I don't say that because he's in the room. I've said that many times in his presence and when he's not around because I just, over many years, have heard him consistently just say incredible things man and just captivate rooms large and small so without further ado i'm gonna introduce good friend great poet uh all around good guy mr marquee mix aka 13 of nazareth peace good people all right man so i'm gonna be honest with you i have no idea where this interview is gonna go but i i do want to start with a conversation we were having actually just before we got on this microphone and you were saying that you had no idea that this is what you were going to be. Like, could you elaborate on that statement? Well, um, the first thing I want to say is it, it, it works better in my mind that you don't have an idea of what, that, where this is going to go. Oh, because yeah. I, yeah that's, I've, that's how I've, uh, I once read that you know a conversation goes where a conversation goes and and often beautiful things grow out of that okay um so in terms of me becoming you know spoken word artist and poet uh the reason you know i've often said to people that no one is more surprised that i am who i am than i am because as a child uh and all throughout my adolescence i had i had zero interest in reading or writing anything mm-hmm. like i i tried the best i could to figure the the path of least resistance in terms of like turning in book reports and when i was in school uh i actually did not even know what cliff notes were Mm-hmm. But I, I think I probably read the books in the way that the cliff notes were written. 
when I had to do book reports mm-hmm. to avoid having to read. So I didn't develop a, a, a interest in reading or writing until I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the idea uh, throughout the time that I was growing up, you know, I remember the very first time I had that like elementary school assignment. You know, like what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. Like. Interestingly enough, the first thing that I said I wanted to be was an astronomer. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt had given me this book, and I was just fascinated by like the sun and the stars, interesting, and, interesting. and so forth and so on. So like that's what I said I wanted to be. But you know, I never did any like research or invested any time into doing that. However, I still spend time. Like just standing outside and watching the sky and looking at the sun and the moon and that's wild. How old were you? Like, what grade were you roughly? <laughs> I was in the fifth grade when I said that. That's crazy. So for me, like, just to draw like a little bit of a parallel through that, uh, I remember I was in first, maybe, nah, I would say I was in second grade, mm-hmm. and I tested for school placement, you know, for talented and gifted program, and I I was placed. After I passed, or after I, they they evaluated that I should be put in a talented and gifted program, but one of the things that I showed interest in and a desire to learn was mythology and also what's going on with the stars. Interesting. Yeah. So like constellations and the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper yeah. and the Seven Sisters and all that stuff. That stuff interested me at that age. Yeah. I just so happened I to, find that that yeah. This, find, yeah, okay, man. I just happened. I just happened. You know, my interest was developed very organically because beyond the book that was given to me by my aunt um i just happened to live in a neighborhood that had very poor street lighting so at night (laughs) you could see more of the stars okay and so you know sometimes i would just stand outside and just gaze into the sky all right so let's 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 let's, uh we're gonna do a lot of pivoting ladies and gentlemen because this is a very uh very thoughtful gentleman you know, he's very elaborate in what he says and he has a lot of questions. So I might have to jump in there just as a warning and ask a question because he there's so many questions that I that I have when I have just conversations with his brother. So one of the first things I would like you to do, give me a brief brief history or a brief understanding of where you come from. Go back to Virginia, give me a little bit of an understanding of the household you came up in. You know, like, you know, what were the things that informed you as a young man? That way we can get an understanding of the contrast between the young man you were mm-hmm. and what you're evolving into now. All right. So I, w- I was born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, the environment as I experienced it uh, was it was this interesting balance of violence and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up in, you know, I spent the first 13 years of my life living in the home with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have uh, seven siblings, mm-hmm. Uh, I spent the first seven years of my life living as an only child and mm-hmm. I'm not the oldest. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I lived in the house with my, my younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I actually did not 
I knew I had a younger brother because I was I was in the hospital on the day that he was born. Um, but my other siblings, I did not know that they existed until I was seven. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, I am I have the experience of being an only child, being the oldest child, and being a middle child, mm-hmm. like all in one at one time. Interesting. So, you know, my grandmother in, you know, one of my, my favorite poems that I've written, Mm -hmm. uh, she was this, uh, matriarch who embodied a form of practical spirituality without, uh, ever, like I never had a conversation about religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I ever heard my grandmother mention God is if somebody did or said something that encouraged her to say, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I bore witness to, like I said, a, a great amount of, of violence, but she was very like practical in her efforts to help uh support the people who were around her even though we didn't have much ourselves Mm -hmm. and so those were kind of like the primary grounds up that like fed me Mm -hmm. um so i knew that i lived in a world where things could turn chaotic in an instant Mm -hmm. but i also knew that i lived in a world where if you were in the presence of people who loved you, then even if things turn chaotic in an instance, you would be safe. Okay. Yeah. So speaking to that, we had a conversation just yesterday, I want to say, where you made, you actually gave a story that, that gave more under, more, me more of an understanding of a song that you did on your first LP, which is Fallout Shelter. Mm-hmm. It's track number two. It's called I Got Now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you had a line in there as Cupid, draw back your bow. Oh, no, no. That, that track that, is uh, uh, not, Childhood. Childhood. I'm sorry. That's, the, that's track two. That's track two. That's track two. Yes. And you're saying like, Cupid, draw back your bow, which is a reference to a Sam Cooke line. So yes. You, you know, and it's talking about, and, and, and let your arrow go. Uh-huh. And you're talking about, can you explain just like that scene? Because you, you gave it to me yesterday or whatever. So it was just like hearing that story, which you've told before. Right. But you 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 happen to put your lyrics in a way that you can get pictures. Right. But when you tell the story, you get different pictures, but it's still the same scene. So I just thought it's very interesting the way you relayed the, the yeah, story. Yeah, so, so, you know, as a, a child who grew up, you know, in the early stages of hip hop, mm-hmm. right? I did not hear a lot of hip hop as a child because I was around a lot of adults who were, they were still listening to the music from like the 60s and the 70s and, and so forth. So, um, uh, you know, the, the, the particular lyric that you're referring to, it says, Cupid, please draw back your bow. Through this living room of drunks, just let your arrow grow, go before somebody throw a punch and start fighting, mm-hmm. right? And so, in the space where where I was growing up, you know, throughout the week, it was a pretty laid back thing. You know, all of the men 
who I knew, you know, they get up early in the morning, they go off to work, they work hard, they come home, they eat, they go to sleep. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. But then when the weekend rolls around, Mm -hmm. it's like, even though they've been working all week, like the money that they've made is really just enough to like keep the lights on and keep the roof over our head. So there is no such thing as going out to party. Yeah. Right. So everyone, we party in the house. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, you turn the music on and people will dance and, you know, there's a table. People might be playing cards. It's drinks on the table, party going on, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. I had the, uh, what many would refer to as the misfortune, but I definitely claim it as a fortune of being the child who didn't have to go to bed. Mm-hmm. when the party started. Mm-hmm. So I would just kind of be standing in the room, like leaning on my grandmother's shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, sucking my thumb, twisting my hair, and just observing mm-hmm. what was occurring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so some nights it'll just be a good night. You know, everybody party, they drink, they dance. It get late, people get tired, they turn the music off, everybody go home. Mm-hmm. But then on other evenings, it was nothing for people who had been partying with one another for for years, right? Like an argument happened, somebody might punch somebody in the face, you know, tables turn over, but the level of respect that all of these people had for my grandmother, like even if a fight would break out in our house, my grandmother ne- never had to move from her seat. So I, I actually got to witness all of these things kind of happening in this protection space where I was protected. So I'd be leaning on her shoulder and a fight break out and people would fight and I would watch them like avoid trying to fall in my grandmother's direction like while they're attempting to beat each other up, bouncing into walls, turning over chairs, sometimes even going out of the back door and fighting in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um and then fight'll be over. Somebody either either because they just got tired of fighting mm-hmm. or somebody thought that it was too much and decided to break it up. Mm-hmm. But after it was over, the two people kind of go their separate ways. Like they, they wouldn't leave mm-hmm. and go home. No one would call the police. Mm-hmm. They would like go their separate ways, maybe in different parts of the house, which wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the music would get turned back on. And everybody will go back to dancing. Put the chairs back. Put the chairs back. back, back Put the table back up. How many books did I have? Glasses that got broken. You know, people sweep that up, throw those away, you know, pull out some plastic cups and kind of get right back into the rhythm um, of what was already occurring. So that was a very large portion of my childhood, you know, outside of going to school. In fact, I think it was a more informative education about how uh, the world works. Right. So in having many conversations with you over the years, I I feel like we serve similar functions, but you are clearly on a different path than me. Uh, and I believe that uh, I believe to certain to a certain degree I'm supposed to be a conduit. I believe to a certain degree you're supposed to be a witness and scribe, right? Hmm. I believe that you know you based upon just the everyday conversations we've had. Like I said, right. we've known each other for some years now. Yes, and just in the conversations we've had, you you've witnessed 
so much chaos, mm-hmm. but a lot of it has never directly touched you. Not saying it has impacted you or affected right. you, but it's not directly touched your person. Yes. And that is, and, and there's so many times that things could have gone a different way, as we were discussing over this weekend. Yes. You know, there's so many times that things could have gone a completely different way mm-hmm. had you made a different decision or chosen to, you know, you know, go right instead of go left. Yes. So I, I want to fast forward a little bit now. We, we understand a little bit understanding of what the home situation is like to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. There's more. I, I'm not going to try to get into his whole life stories. Fascinating stuff, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll probably have this, 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 this gentleman back. But I want to fast forward a little bit. I want to I want to talk to you about high school. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit, and then I also want to get into the accident. Okay. All right. So in high school, like, who do you perceive you were at that time? Like, what what, what was your mindset? How were you at that time? Because you told me yourself that you weren't really articulating your thoughts well in terms of like you know yeah. if you're gonna sit into a rhyme battle, or whatever you could you could battle back then. But your vocabulary didn't really match, obviously, what your intellect is. Right. My so in high school, um, well, actually, all throughout school, mm-hmm. in school, I was a fairly quiet child. Um, in high school, I had a handful of friends. Uh, none of those friends lived in the neighborhood that I lived in. Cause I'm I moved around a lot, mm-hmm. so when I moved to different places, for the most part, I kept the same friends. Like mm-hmm. they might have moved to different parts of the city, but we made efforts. You know, we hop on buses and we come and hang out. I go hang out in their neighborhood. They come hang out in my neighborhood. We stay at each other's houses, mm-hmm. so forth and so on. So I wasn't really, and be, and I don't know if it was because I was quiet or because I was new. Or, or at what exactly was the motivation of other people. But whenever I moved into a neighborhood, I usually wasn't welcomed by the people in my age group that lived in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why I kept that, that group, group of, of friends, friends that I had. It's understanding. Right? right? So, but this group of friends that I had by the time I was in high school, they were, it was a group of people that, on face value, you know, based on maybe where they live, uh, how they behave, how they where they fit into the social strata in 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 the high school dynamic, it didn't really appear that we should have been a group of people that were hanging together. And why you know, is we, that? We were kind of like a group of misfits. Okay, you know what I mean. Was it like a like, like was it just like a weird conglomerate of misfits, or like it's like you had one guy who's kind of this way and another guy, or yeah, like it's it's you know like I got you know one friend who ran track, mm-hmm. you know another friend who played football, uh, another friend who's just you know for all intents and purposes just a thug. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then there's me like I, I don't, I'm not involved in any sports. I'm not, you know, I'm not a thug. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I come from the experience of being around the adults who were I'm sure they were thugs when they were children. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that was 
So it's it it like it made sense to me mm-hmm. to be around this group of people. But on because, the outside, looking but in. from the outside looking in, it didn't appear that it would make sense as to why we why all of us hung together. And also, probably from the perspective of what you were just saying, in terms of like basically how your grandmother would pull people in, right? And it was not necessarily people that people would necessarily reach out to to help. Right. You know, you were saying you gave a story earlier about how she pulled a stranger in who was running naked through the street. Yes. And she yeah. sent some men out to go put some clothes on this yeah. lady and bring her in and then yeah, man. check in on her. So this is not a common thing. So this is not a common thing. To you, I I I'm guessing it's just like this is what felt comfortable and this natural what, to you. Now this is what how they looked at you, this is interesting, like why they necessarily, you know, what they saw. What they saw. I'm 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 not a hundred percent sure right. what they saw. And right. and the interesting thing was uh during high school, many of the people, well not many, several of the people who became close friends of mine our initial meeting almost turned into a fight between us mm-hmm. right but um i walked away mm-hmm. right like I, i'm you know because it was something that it was a misunderstanding mm-hmm. and i knew it was a misunderstanding and I had seen enough people get into fights over misunderstandings. misunderstandings or things that were worthy of fighting over for me to recognize that this is a misunderstanding. So I'm not going to fight you about this. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to fight you, like it there there has to be a reason, a reason mm-hmm. for me to fight. Mm-hmm. Because I know the because I know the the type of people who have been responsible for uh, protecting me and guiding me. Mm-hmm. And that if violence ensues, like these are not a group of people who if they get started, you can call them off. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't just be like, nah, nah, that's OK. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, so I, I just I made a concerted effort to just not. Be violent, mm-hmm. right? And so, and then as time went on, you That's know, and we had time to spend more time around one another, we realized that we had much more in common than this little misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And so, because I don't know if it was because of that, mm-hmm. but I think it's definitely tied to that. How those people actually ended up being some of my closest friends. So, but who were you though? How do you like if you had to look at yourself through like a portal in time? How would you how how would you describe? I would describe myself as a corny cool kid. (laughs) Okay, right? Because I was I I was I was too I was too corny to hang with the cool kids. But I was too cool to hang with the quote unquote corny kids. Okay, so so that, that might make two of us then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that, yeah, that, that, too, was that would that would be my yeah, yeah. the simplest description of me would definitely be that. Okay, all right. So coming from that, um, when did you first start writing poetry? I started writing. Uh, I started out writing rhymes mm-hmm. uh, at the age of twenty. Okay. Um, after writing for several months. Uh, 
I was unable to write. I experienced what I perceived to be writer's block, Mm -hmm. right? But as I've shared with you before, my concept is that writer's block doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then once I was able to turn my attention to other things that required my attention, essentially things that that, that the writing was calling forth. Mm -hmm. Um, I started writing, I was motivated to write by two things. Mm -hmm. On my 20th birthday, Tupac died. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a very big Tupac fan. As as was I. Right? And at the time, he was was my voice. Mm -hmm. Like, my frustrations with the world Mm -hmm. in which I lived, like, a lot of that came across in his music. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, there was no need for me to say anything. So I never even considered it. You know, if I'm frustrated about something, Tupac got, got a song. A song for it. Yeah. I can play that. Yeah. Somebody understand. I feel good. I keep it moving. So when he dies on my 20th birthday, you know, I'm in this place where there's this weird tension mm-hmm. where I'm supposed to be celebrating making it to this point in my life. And but someone said- who is has inspired me. Mm-hmm. Is dead, and right? You, you had also told me in previous conversations you didn't quite believe you were gonna make it to eighteen. So twenty, yeah, twenty was a my twenty. You know, sixteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-five, all milestones for me mm-hmm. because based on uh, that endangered species propaganda that was in existence at the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that I had an opportunity, if opportunity is the correct word to, to witness mm-hmm. made me think that I'm, you know, I'm not going to be here, you know, to this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm at this age that I didn't think I was going to see. And then someone who has inspired me along the way has just been murdered. Mm-hmm. And so this weird tension existed and then probably about a week later uh my cousin who is also one of the friends that i spoke about Mm -hmm. that uh was really close to me in high school you know he 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 and uh a friend of both of ours began they began like freestyling and -hmm. so they tried to invite me to be a part of it and i'm like man i can't rhyme and they're like man just try it and i'm like listen I can't rhyme. I don't write. I don't freestyle. Mm-hmm. Just like let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. And they just kept pushing and pushing. And, you know, so then they put on like some popular instrumentals and they playing. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the instrumentals, they were playing the instrumentals on a karaoke machine. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they got these like the karaoke machine with these like little cheap mics. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and so I, they I like, that, yeah. right. They, so they, we just in the room and they, and they freestyling and, uh, after a, a few beverages, which I was not technically old enough to drink, mm-hmm. uh, they convinced me to to try to freestyle, and so and so I made an attempt, but everything that came out, it was just gibberish, mm-hmm. right? Like nothing that I said made any sense. I was just stumbling over the words, so forth and so on. Like I didn't have that massive of a vocabulary, and and but in attempting to rhyme there was this like release mm-hmm. of energy 
that I didn't realize was pent up inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my younger cousin, you know, the same cousin, his little sister, she was, you know, her and a few of her friends whenever we would be freestyling. Because, you know, now that you got me started, mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. So we like, it's the whole weekend. We kind of like locked in. We going to just rhyme and drink and whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, her and her friends would come in and listen to us. And I distinctly remember um, I was attempting to freestyle and I was... In my freestyle, I was mimicking the pattern of one of the flows by Method Man. Mm -hmm. And while I was rhyming, I overheard them, her and her girlfriends, like laughing at me and talking about how whack I was. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that... Now that I had had this energy release and I'm like, yo, I think I might need to do this, mm-hmm. right? Like even for whatever that's the focus purpose, right? And so when she said I couldn't mm-hmm. do it, oh man, you know, being you, the you Virgo can't, you that can't I tell am, Virgo that they you can't, can't do tell something. me like that I can't do something, especially when I have the like the belief that I can, that I do. can? nah, man, that's right. Yeah. And so then like it just caused this shift like I went home I stayed in my room for like three days and just like wrote Mm -hmm. so I wrote like my first song Mm -hmm. right and then I came back and I'm like yo I'm talking to my cousin I'm like yo I got something I want you to hear Mm -hmm. and so I started spitting these verses Mm -hmm. right he was like he's like oh that's dope Mm -hmm. and I'm like I'm still like I don't really know what Mm -hmm. to do with that mm-hmm. but okay and then i remember um like after me spitting the verses a few times and different people hearing it my younger cousin came in the room one day and she's like talking to some guy on the phone right and i guess the dude on the phone is also a rapper mm-hmm. right and she's like she turns to me and she says, you know, yo, spit that joint. She like passes me the phone. Like the music is playing in the background. She's like, yo, spit that joint you spit the other day. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm excited because mm-hmm. I'm thinking the person who thought I was whack mm-hmm. wants to hear me spit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I just grabbed the I don't even know who she was talking to. I just grabbed the phone and just I'm just holding the phone and just spitting the verses into the phone. And she's in the background like going crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. And so then... I started taking more time. Like I'm, I'm, sit, I'm at home. I'm spending more time. I'm writing verses like every day, and and then it just became this thing. Like mm-hmm. every day, I sit down. I try to write something. Whatever spare time I have, I'm writing something. And so then that was that beginning stages of my creative process, like kind of coming together. Okay, so I got. I like to trade notes with other artists. Okay. On, on some of their creative process because I believe that although our processes are ultimately very different mm-hmm. and distinct, I believe that there are a lot of similarities and a lot I believe that we're also ultimately pulling from the same source. Right? Uh, absolutely. So for me, I kind of stumbled into my passion and love for for poetry. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I started off trying to rap, but admittedly I was not good back then. 
Okay. Oh so, man, dog, I was horrible. Okay, so uh, you know, I, I I started off rapping just because I liked hip hop. Right. You know what I mean? And I was silly, you know, so I, I come up with stuff here and there or whatever. Every now and then I might write something at the time that was good and it was like a story and you could follow along with it and it's kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? But I started getting into poetry and I started writing poetry and it started off as more introspective. And then once I started like, you know, I, I was one of those kids, I guess I had to, I would I would get this idea of a female with the like the big it girl was for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I would get like really like, oh, she's so awesome. And like I have a crush on this girl and like, you know, really be into her and start writing these like, you know, these poems and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it started for me. And then eventually I started transitioning and like really learning to like, you know, learn rules of poetry. And then also like, I don't have to adhere to those rules of poetry. I could break them because at first I thought all poetry had to rhyme. Right. You know, then I realized it doesn't have to, it's just Mm -hmm. is what it is. So self-discovery, I will say when you say that release, you know, it's, if, if you are not an artist, it's just something like it's, it's a drug. You know what I mean? It's one of those things for me, I will say, um, when I really started getting heavy into writing poetry, mm-hmm. uh, it was it's like the world fell away. Right. It's like when when you when that moment came for you to write, it's like it, it's not even like it's just you. At least for me, it's not. Right. It's like I I feel like there there is nothing else there, mm-hmm. and I'm channeling. Right. So it's my voice, but there's an energy that I'm capturing, and I'm just directing it through a ballpoint pen onto a piece of paper with my fingers onto a keyboard that puts it up on a screen. Right. You know, however I was capturing the words, it's just like, it's just those words and I have to capture them because this moment is unique. Right. Those words will never come to me again like this ever. Right. You know what I mean? And I, if I choose to let this moment pass, I might never get those words again. Indeed. You know? So it's kind of like one of those, it's an urgency. And it's like literally the world just stops to exist. You lose track of time. You just You just need to capture it. So I understand, like that release, man. It's like if you don't have it, it just, it just feels like a, there's a disconnect. Like what is, you know what I mean? There've been times. So that's why when you say writer's block, for me, I've had what I perceive to be writer's block. Right. You know what I mean? And when I've had writer's block, it feels like it's almost like a punishment. Mm-hmm. And like, like, dude, this just feels. Uh. Yeah. So, well, I I will. What I would like to say is I I would like to jump back a bit. Because okay. I, I think it's important that, you know, at the moment that I'm having this release, mm-hmm. this is, we're talking two years in to me, like, battling with epilepsy. So this is an accident. Okay. Depression. Yes, I, yes, okay. And, All right. right. So I had this, I was in this car accident when I was 17. I started having seizures, like, when I was 18. So it's like a month into my senior year in high school. Um, um, I'm, I'm at a new school. So I went to one high school for the first three years, transition, transferred to another school during my senior year. So I'm this new, I'm again, I'm the new kid at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, thinking I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm about to, I'm working on graduating from high school. So I have this idea of how my senior year is going to go because all throughout school, it's just kind of been I really kind of just been flowing Coasting. through, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. what well, do whatever you need to do to get 
to the next grade, mm-hmm. but I ain't really trying to excel. I ain't really trying to apply myself. Just mm-hmm. it's like just enough. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, I've made it to this point. Senior year in high school, I've survived this accident. You know, fractured my hip, gash in my chin, gash inside my mouth, hair snatched out in the windshield. You know, so it's been, it's been a dramatic life. Mm-hmm. Right, but I'm like I'm here, I'm I'm gonna graduate, so let me give it my all. Mm-hmm. So that's the mindset that I went into my senior year with, and then like a month into the year, I start having seizures, mm-hmm. which brings in this whole other like element uh, or series of elements because there's a health condition that I'm facing. Mm-hmm. There is. A type of attention that I'm now receiving from my family members that I'm not accustomed to because mm-hmm. I had a lot, a lot of freedom of movement throughout mm-hmm. my adolescence, mm-hmm. right? And so now everybody wants to know what I'm doing, where, where I'm going, gonna how I'm going, how long yeah. I'm going to be there. You know, am I taking the medicine? Did I take it on time? Am I, you know? So it's it's like it's it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so when I get to this point that I start writing or start freestyling. This release is not just a release of creativity. It's it's a release of frustration. It's mm-hmm. a release of of depression. It's a release of anger that has gone uncommunicated because I didn't know how to put it into words. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of that is happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So when I when I got to the point that I started writing poems, it wasn't because I set out to write poems. Mm-hmm. It was because as a rapper, I didn't know any producers, mm-hmm. so I didn't have any original music to use. Mm-hmm. I did not have a concept of what it meant to like structure 16 versus bars, 16 bars yeah. to be able to count off the, the hook or understand music well enough to be able to figure that out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started writing these really long verses Mm -hmm. about subjects where I would start writing and then I would just write until I was finished. Mm -hmm. But some of the subjects that I was writing about, it didn't seem like music Mm -hmm. made sense as the undertone. Like maybe I just need to say Mm -hmm. what it is that I've written. And I had got accustomed to not to just saying what I had written because I didn't have any production to work with. Right. And 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 so the making the transition into writing poetry was it was a result of the circumstances that I was facing. Okay. Right. And so I wasn't trying to impress anyone. The first three months of me writing, like every single thing that I wrote, didn't matter what the subject was, it was angry. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that encounter with writer's block, I just ran out of angry things to write about. Mm-hmm. And since anger was the primary fuel mm-hmm. for my writing, you know, what I thought was writer's block was just me being empty of the anger. And so I kind of hit this crossroads where I knew that right I knew that I knew how I had got to angry. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had written all of these things. So mm-hmm. people, some people responded positively to the things that I had written. So I was like, I know what I can do. In order to get that 
energy and experience necessary to create this type of work. Mm-hmm. But the living that went along with that experience, like I was just asking myself, like, did I want that? Mm-hmm. Or did I want something else? Mm -hmm. And the answer was that I wanted something else, but I didn't know what that something else it was. And I didn't know how to find it. And I didn't know where to look and so forth and so on. And so that kind of pushed me on this search uh, for to be grounded. Okay. Yeah. So when, when, when was the first time you started to get an understanding that, hey, I might be dope? Um... So between the time I started writing and the first time I got on stage. Which was, do you remember when that was? Yes. The the exact date was February 5th, 1999. Okay. Um, so we're this is we talking roughly about two 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 years, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, Pac died in '96. Pac died. In, oh, actually, so yeah. Okay. But it was like so. It's like September of '96 when I started writing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's gotcha. February so like of '99. Okay, like close to two and a half years. Close to two and a half. Okay. All right. Right. And and so I um I was still like I spent some time like not writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the first six months of '97. I didn't write anything. Mm-hmm. Um, during that particular period in time, I was investigating spirituality, mm-hmm. right? Because I I had you know this there was this like heaviness kind of like hanging over my head that I didn't know what to do with, and and it was recommended that I go to church, mm-hmm. right? So I I did that in on New Year's Day in ninety seven. Mm-hmm. And you know, began you know attending pretty regularly, studying scripture. You know, uh, what scripture were you like? You studying the Bible? I was studying the Bible. Was that only what you were studying? That was or? the only thing okay. that I was studying. So I was reading the Bible like regularly every day. But keep in mind, this is like my first encounter mm-hmm. with the Bible. Mm-hmm. There is no one like quoting scripture to me, no one saying do XYZ or you're going to hell. N- none of that mm-hmm. is a part of my experience. Mm-hmm. So when I'm reading this, it's like, but there are things here that are resonating mm-hmm. with me that I think that can be applied to my life. So like this dynamic shift in who I was and how I felt about myself occurred while I was attending church and studying scripture. So I got this job, ironically, um, working as a busboy mm-hmm. at, at, <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a hotel restaurant. Um, and this brother who worked there with me uh, was a musician. He played guitar. And one day I was giving him a ride home. And, you know, he was talking about like the music he was recording and, you know, people he was working with and so forth and so on. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, I I, I used to rhyme a little bit. And he was like, you got you got anything? And so, you know, I had like a couple to date myself, 
I had a couple cassette tapes in the car, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Right? And, and, and you know, I popped one of them in, and he was like, so what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what, are, what do you mean? Like, I was like, yo, I, don't, I haven't, I'm like, I haven't written in months. Mm-hmm. He was like, what do you mean? Like, you need to write again, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing, part of the reason, like, I stopped writing because I had that writer's block mm-hmm. experience, but then- while attending church, you know, I had a couple people who were like counselors of sorts mm-hmm. uh, for me, tell me things like, you know, hip hop was of the devil and, mm, yeah, and okay. so forth and so on. Right. Okay. And so this like, you know, so I just kind of like pushed it all aside. And so then having upon having this conversation with his brother, I was like, well, maybe I should pick it up and try something to try to write again. And so I started trying to write, but like all of the studying that I have been doing of the Bible mm-hmm. is, of course, now beginning to spill over into my writing. It's okay. like this is the core focus of my experience now, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, after a bit of time, me and the church ain't really line up. You know, I had some questions about things that I was hearing, things that I was reading, ways in which I was seeing people treated, and I was like, well, I can't be become a member of of, of of a church because I I don't I don't feel comfortable with everything that I'm I'm receiving, mm-hmm. but but I or see expected to do or expected to do, but right. I but I see a benefit here. Mm-hmm. So you know, I started asking people who I went to church with questions about Islam, mm-hmm. right? Which was the closest. You know, I had a couple of people who I knew that were members of the Nation of Islam. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't really understand how you're saying all of these people are gonna they're gonna like burn in hell because they're not. Christians, but when I am in their presence, this 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 presence that you refer to as a Christian, this this presence you refer to as the Holy Spirit, I I felt that in the presence of a group of people who are not Christians. Mm-hmm. So how do I account for that? And nobody had answered, you know. But one uh, family, you know, directed me to this uh, televangelist. Who was doing a four-part sermon on Christianity and Islam. Mm -hmm. And so I went and checked it out. And the sermon came on. And he comes out onto into the pulpit. And he has the altar edition Bible on one podium. And the altar edition Quran on another podium. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, yes. Somebody is going to really tackle this, mm-hmm. right? And then the, the brother begins his sermon. And his sermon is essentially quoting a verse from the Quran and then using verses from the Bible to shoot it down. And I was like, that's not really a... I don't... And then he tells... The congregation that he's preaching to that, you know, the Holy Spirit has put it on his heart to study the Quran for the purpose of 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 conducting this series. However, none of them should study the Quran, be reading the Quran. And then, you know, because this is on television, you know, periodically they give a camera shot of the congregation. And I realize no one in the congregation has a Quran, yeah. right? And no then I'm objections. thinking about thinking back to 
the little bit that I knew at the time about, you know, our people's history and slavery and how religion was used as a manipulative tool, you know, reading, being punishable and so forth and so on. And I'm thinking, how can you be teaching someone? Right. Even if it's a text that you completely disagree with, how can you be teaching someone from a text that they can't even examine for themselves? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I turned the sermon off and I went and bought a Quran. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then I began to study the Quran. Now, the Quran didn't resonate with me in the same way as the Bible, mm-hmm. but I felt like I had to read the text for myself to be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then that was kind of like an encouraging thing for me then to move on and like look at other scriptures. So, you know, I look at, you know, the teachings of the Buddha and the Bhagavad Gita and and the Upanishads and the Dhammapada, you know, Hindu scriptures. And and so and then all of those things start to filter their way into my writing. And then. This bookstore that is. Uh, I just happen to see Like I used to see it all the time Like while I'm out riding And I'm like one day I'm just going to go in there And mm-hmm. so I think it was probably Maybe the beginning Of 98 That I went to this bookstore And so I walked in And I told a brother I was like what do you Recommend For a young black man who has never purchased a book for himself. Wow. What was that? What was it? What was the answer? And for that one? he came from behind the counter and went over to the shelf and he picked up the book From Niggas to Gods. Okay. Uh by Akil. I don't it, that was the only name on the cover. I don't know what the brother's last name is. Mm-hmm. But I took that book home and read it. Mm-hmm. The next week. I came back and I got from niggas to God's part two mm-hmm. and I took it home and read it. Mm-hmm. And so then every week I would come back to the store mm-hmm. and get a new book. Mm-hmm. And I did that for like two years. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but in the beginning of that second year, which is 1999, when I came in per the usual, pick up a book, get some frankincense and myrrh, get a, couple packs of incense there's a flyer on the counter for an open mic Mm -hmm. and i'm like where is this happening he's like it's happening in the restaurant next door i was like took the flyer put it in my pocket the next week i went to that restaurant for the open mic Mm -hmm. and so i show up to the open mic and you know, I afraid out of my mind, trembling, shaking, voice cracking, back sweating. You know, when they call me up to the stage and I get up and I read this really, really short poem mm-hmm. uh, called Planted in the Wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it may have taken me 60 seconds mm-hmm. to get through it. Um, now, were you going by 13 at the time? Nope. Just, okay. Just went up. Signed my first name on the list and they called me up. Uh, and, you know, after I read the poem, a brother came up to me after when I came off stage. When I, and to keep in mind, 
they had no audience yet. So mm-hmm. when I got there, it was like 10 people. Mm-hmm. Like five of them were in the band mm-hmm. that was playing, mm-hmm. right? So when I came off stage, a brother came up to me and he said, you know, I really enjoyed your poem. You should come back. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really still, I didn't have a concept of this, like me being dope. Mm-hmm. Just I found something that I like and I want to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was my motivation. And so then I was just like at that open mic, like every week mm-hmm. for like a year. Mm-hmm. And then like more poets start to show up, then more audience start to show up. By the time, by the end of 99, that open mic was so popular in the area. Like, you know, doors open at eight o'clock. If you weren't there by 830, you actually could not get in the building. And the building could probably, like, it was a restaurant. I imagine that with tables, they probably shouldn't have had any more than like 70, 80 people in there. Mm-hmm. But it would easily be like 150 people, like just jammed up in there, like people sitting on the floor, mm-hmm. just like wherever there was a space where people could get, they were in that space mm-hmm. for the open mic. And so that was my introduction okay. to, yeah. All right. So I'm... I know where I met you. I don't know if you remember where we met, but I know exactly where I met you. I remember who you were with when I met you. Uh, I met you at the University of Maryland College Park campus, all right off of there. There's a there's a a spot called Java Head. Okay, and uh, Complex was the host. Yeah, uh, you came down to perform with Godchild. Oh wow, the Omen. It was you and Godchild. And you got up on stage, and again, it's one of those things like open mics is always kind of like you know it's it's for the faithful, man. Right. You know what I'm saying a lot of times the poets are the audience. Yes. So it's kind of like we're just encouraging each other. Absolutely. And at that time, it was, I would say, the vast majority of the people that were performing at open mics in the D.C. area, the vast majority of them were at least good. Some of them were really good. Some of them were like awesome. So when I saw you, I'm like, who the hell is this dude? You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like, you know, and then you, you eventually I started seeing you pop up at Mangos, which to me is still my favorite spot. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? Like Man- just Mangos was just, just was from a beautiful the, space. Yeah, just from the people that came in to perform. And I think Raquel was an incredible host. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It is just it was just one of those things that, you know, I'm I find this um appreciation for mangoes in terms of all the open mic sets i, I liked uh the bohemian caverns mm-hmm. urban energy was another good spot for me right but mangoes to me is my favorite right so right. At, at mangoes uh i met so many people uh, including your lovely wife yes you know and then i get by that time you guys had already crossed paths and she's like i'm his manager i'm like okay <laughs> like all right so it's like it's like uh to me, the, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing up this timeline is because, okay, so we met in 2001. Yes. Okay. So it's 2016 now, just to put a date and put a, you know, a stamp on this. Right. 15 years later, man, like, you are like a staple in terms of, in terms of when you mention poetry artists and stuff like, I mean, poetry cats man it's just like like your name is known it's like you say like archie you know what i'm saying people know you talking about you say talam people know you you say 13 if you like been on the scene people know you talking about even if you're not in this area 
You know what I'm saying? And that's the that's the important thing. Like if people say my name, they're gonna be like, who? You know what I'm saying? Because you know, I, I'm pretty much I, I went to a few spots. I was more of a recluse and I was never considering myself as a spoken word artist. I always looked at myself as a poet. Mm-hmm. I just presented my poetry on a stage right. and I never tried to put anything on it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that to me was the difference between myself and a lot of people who considered themselves spoken word artists. I digress. Looking at you now and and looking at you then, do you feel like how do you how do you how do you mesh the two up? Like when you look at yourself back then when you were just getting started, because I look at look at it like this. There are a couple people who like when I talked to you early when I first when we first started to get to know each other, whatever, I was like, How long have you been writing? You're like a couple years, and I was disgusted. Because by that time I had been writing, I started writing really around age 15. Okay. So you're a little bit older than me, but not much. You know what I'm saying? You right. got like a year on me or something like that. So, you know, if I've been writing for like in like like if I've been writing for like seven years, then damn it, I'm not where you are right now. You only been writing for two. What the what is what does this mean? <laughs> what is that? Like it's like it's like when I ran into Sir, like Sir had not been writing that long, and Sir was younger than us. Right. So like talking to Sir, like how long you been writing? And it's like it's like I've been writing like this long. I'm like, how the hell? What what type of starter kit? Are you, like, <laughs> so it's just like you know, like, do you do you do you ever? And I'm not saying this to be a fanboy or anything like this, but just sometimes. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a very self aware person. I know I'm a very talented person, and I know I have a lot of interest. I know that I'm a jack of many trades. I am a master of none. So I know for myself, I'm a very good poet on most days. Every now and then, I write pieces like, wow, this is, wow. Do you like wow yourself still? Do you like, because uh, it, it's a great feeling to write a piece and just like, like just sit back like, whoa. Yes. Yeah. I, um, the thing about the, the poetry, you know, because it, it occurred in tandem with this process of spiritual development, mm-hmm. like for me, it is integrated mm-hmm. into spiritual development. And so when, you know, like you touched on earlier about uh, this, it all coming from the same source, right? Like for me, I am very heavily reliant upon that source, mm-hmm. right? And so when I first began writing poetry with spirit in mind, uh, a lot of the things that I would write about were things that I was not yet intellectually familiar with. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would write things down and I'm like, that don't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm sometimes not- Sometimes you get why, words like, like right, why did this word I'm like, word why, come? why is this word yeah. what I'm writing? So mm-hmm. then I go and I look it up mm-hmm. and I see what the reference is mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's a correct reference mm-hmm. based on- this little bit of research that I've done. How did I know that? How How did did I know that? Exactly. Right? And so after having that happen several times, I began to have faith in that. Mm. And faith in the fact that if I was obedient to the gift, Mm -hmm. that it would communicate what it needed to communicate through me. Right? And so the me wowing myself Mm. has just been me kind of shutting up and allowing 
the words to flow, right? And then sometimes, uh, you know, an idea will hit me like a in, instead of getting uh, the inspiration to write, I will be like the inspiration will just be an idea. Mm-hmm. And then I'll begin playing around with the idea and then something comes together mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I would have never imagined mm-hmm. that this would have been something that I would have been talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to ask you a question that I I think have quietly wondered for many years. And I think I've known you, known you long enough to ask you this question. Have you ever given thought or consideration? I'm, I'm going to automatically assume you have, but I'm going to ask the question. I'll rephrase it. Do you think or believe that having had the accident, which has triggered or caused the epilepsy, is what has led you down this path to who you are now? Do you feel that you would be a poet right now and be doing what you're doing right now if you did not? have the epilepsy epilepsy absolutely not um because the epilepsy triggered the depression mm-hmm. right the depression uh triggered a series of decisions uh that were counter to my well-being mm-hmm. which had me in a place that when Tupac died and my cousin was like, come rhyme, try this. Mm-hmm. Like my life before that experience, while it wasn't the greatest life, mm-hmm. like it was a life that I was happy with. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I was, like I said, I, I had a, a great level of freedom, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by the time I was 15, I could come in the house whenever I got ready, mm-hmm. right? So I get out of school, I do my homework, I go hang out with my friends, I come back whenever I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's Tuesday, I got to go to school tomorrow, I'm coming in the house at 1.30. Mm-hmm. The caveat was... I had to keep my grades in a certain place and I couldn't miss any days of school. As long as those things were on point, I could essentially do anything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And so leading up to this accident, I mean, even in fact, when I had the car accident, like it was during spring break, I was hanging out. Like when I had the car accident, the car accident happened like, like 1230 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm like, I'm hanging out. When this car accident occurs, mm-hmm. right? So without that particular series of experiences, I don't see anywhere where my life would have encouraged me to pick up a pen, right? So I, I definitely recognize that as a a, a painfully disruptive but necessary bridge from the person that I was to this person that I've become. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I want you to get yourself together because there's a poem I'm going to ask you to do if you don't mind, if that's cool. 
All right. Yeah. I hope I hope it's something that oh, nah, I nah, that I remember. This. Nah, you good. You got. I know you got this one. I'm not. I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna dig too far in the in the crates, man. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, again, I am speaking with Mister Thirteen of Nazareth. Uh, incredible spoken word artist, incredible MC, dope lyricist, ladies and gentlemen, on in all regards, and just a very thoughtful and intelligent dude. So, uh, we were we've been talking about his life and his life experiences, what has led him to be the gentleman he is now, and what I want to do is I want to close out this interview on on a thought provoking note. Okay, and uh, there's a particular poem and when you did it i was actually thinking about playing around with some ideas and this is the funny thing about being an artist or whatever and again drawing from the same well i was thinking of some ideas because i had at one point i had done some uh, mortgage origination i had done some insurance sales so i got a, a chance to see how money worked from a different perspective okay you know and deal with people's credits and see, you know, credit scores and stuff like that. So it's just, I got a chance to see things from a different, just in a different way. In a different way. Right? And when you did this poem, I was like, okay, there's no need for me to do this poem anymore. Because <laughs> you covered it. So the, there's a particular poem where you talk about money and loaning people a dollar uh-huh. and how much a dollar's worth, basically. Uh, if you had that poem committed to memory, which I, I've seen you do many times from memory, sir, so... Yeah, um, it, it's been a minute since I've done that poem from memory, but, uh-huh. but fortunately, I have access to it. Okay, if 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 it does, if memory fails me. Okay, um, and we also have the be- the beauty of editing. The beauty on, on of the, editing on this, on this podcast. On the podcast, indeed. So, uh, the name of that the poem that you're referring to is encoded. Okay, um, and. The way in which Encoded came into existence was uh, I was spending some time, you know, actually during a period of of downtime with regard to my health, uh, just kind of contemplating finances, Mm -hmm. right? Like just I want to have. Like I'm, I'm busy like performing and doing all these things and in, in efforts to make money, but it's like really how much understanding of money do I really have, mm-hmm. right? And so I started to do a little bit of research, and the things that I discovered were confusing, <laughs> right? Because you're not supposed to ask these questions, man, right? And so I, I just began to think, okay, how do I convey? These things that are confusing to me to others without confusing them more than I am confused. Mm -hmm. And this this poem was my effort uh, to do so. All right. Gotta get the cash, gotta get the dough, gotta make the bread, stack it by the loaf. Feed it to the people, never teach them how to grow. Weep for themselves, cause I own all the fields and I sell all the grain to the profits for a profit. Bunch of slaves off the chain. Every unit of currency is encoded with debt. How else can capitalists get upsteps on consumers? Let's say I print a dollar, which you ask me to borrow and I agree. 
under the condition that you repay me a dollar and fifty cents, I print the money. Where will you get the extra money? Possibly from other people who've also borrowed from me. And if everyone who borrows owes me 50% more than I've loaned, somebody's going to lose their car and their home as there is no mathematical way. Every debtor can repay if all of them owe me more money than I originally made. The market is marked. To manipulate the masses, the percentages who suffer are counterbalanced by the percentages who cash in and the percentages who cash in are eventually stabbed in the back by a master manipulator. Monetary regulators can and will make you make decisions you didn't intend when you made the decision to go into business. Eventually you discover your own stacks have been stacked against you. Fulfilling your dreams on someone else's dime has backed you into a fine printed corner and your life is collateral as well as the people connected to it, spouses, offspring, parents, siblings, basically anyone willing to co-sign whatever contract you sign can end up on a tangent. The trigonometry of this copper field economy is all math and magic like making an airplane disappear into the side of a pentagon and when people ask why the hole is so small, you tell them the twin towers are gone. On. Attention diverted, crisis averted, pick up the pieces, piece together a story you mean to tell me. An open source digital mapping software like the one on my cell phone can zoom in on my front door, yet the most secure building in the world got camera footage too distorted to discern. Discern as in to perceive or recognize and what exactly is a World Trade Center? An intersection of transference for goods and services on a global scale where money meets its maker at the crossroads. These skull and bone thugs ain't got no harmony with which I am familiar. Their harp plays a music of the spheres. Now, whether or not you believe in frequencies, ability to alter the structure of matter doesn't matter when money makes your world a merry-go-round of masochism because pain is love. Don't you remember how you were programmed to forget the way in which perception alters environment? For if you believe pain is love, knowing pain results from violence, then it's easy to understand how a nation of people can love an economy even though it's obvious that war is what drives it. See, war is the state that the state thrives in. I say war is the state that the state thrives in, but war doesn't get to exist. If the state doesn't convince the taxpaying people to buy in and nothing is quicker at promoting a willingness to invest in the perception of a direct threat to the preservation of the self. A threat so massive I can climb the blank stairs right into the writing of a blank check. A threat so massive. I can convince you to post bail for the very banks to which you are in debt. Now, remember, you still owe me a dollar and fifty. As I ask you for $10, but this $10 does not go toward the original dollar you borrowed. It goes toward some other problems spawned from my miscalculations. See, your failure is your failure, but my failure is the failure of your nation. And you can't begin to fathom the size of the phantoms haunting the houses of politics and finances. Fact is, I'm barely beginning to understand it. But what I do know is that borrowing money cost money. Lending money cost money. Earning money cost money. And spending money cost money. So if everything involving money cost money, then money in and of itself is ultimately the great nothing.
surviving solely on people's belief that money is everything. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to conclude this interview. This is Da Vinci Parks, and I've had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. 13 of Nazareth. Thank you very much, sir, for taking part in this interview. Thank you for having me, brother. Indeed, indeed, anytime. We know we're going to have you back multiple times, brother. <laughs> Word. So this is Da Vinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III on Flash Black Radio Culture Shock. As we part, I'm going to play a little bit of the aforementioned song, Childhood. So enjoy that. Please be blessed and please continue to come back. We thank you for listening. This track takes me way back to being a child Waking up in the summer, bright eyes and big smile I ain't gotta go to school and I'm cool with that Free breakfast at the wreck where the food is at Chocolate milk in a donut, I'm back outside what up? Football in the street, small bodies collide With the concrete, somebody call out time We had to move to the side, let the cars pass by, they Back in the street, we playing again But it ain't official till somebody call time in Time spins of the evening and my family is part of your grandmother drinking Seagram's grandfather drink Bacardi and Coke House filled with smoke from cigarettes Commodores on vinyl, Sam cook on cassette Cupid, please draw back your hoes Through this living room of drunks Just let your arrow go Before somebody throw a punch and start fighting Again? Yep. Yeah, it happened every weekend At the tumble end That's what my house was called It's like the best of both worlds We brawl and have a ball in the same breath In the same night You can have a fair party in a fair fight from like sunset Friday night to like sunrise Monday morning, this is how we got it on I don't know about y'all, but I'm born for this See, my life is the best of performances I'm just waiting for cameramen to leap out of the bushes To show me some more video footage of mama cooking The big wooden fork and the spoon up on the wall The Jesus Christ carpet in the car playing dogs I know this ain't the typical format for songs But why tell a story if I ain't gon' tell it all The bad, the good, the birds, the hood the love, the uh -huh. fear, the birth, the death, the tears, the uh -huh. smiles, the wild things that we used to do. Still cable, water, gas, and electric too. So if you happy to be alive, happy that you survive, happy that you found the love of God inside and feel good, say it. I feel good, say it. I feel good, say it. I feel good. Come on. Yo, happy to be alive, happy that you survive, happy that you found the love of God inside and feel good, say it. We feel good, say it. We feel good, say it. We feel good.